Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My name is Christy. I'm 38, and I've been listening to the Indigo Girls probably since 7th grade. Can you sing us a line from your favorite Indigo Girls song? Yes. All right, ready? Juliet! Wait, I don't know what the yes, word yes. is. You just loaded from the start, and I begged, and you exploded into my heart. I started listening to them years ago, and I've been such a huge fan of this band. Just because I'm gay, you know, so I related to them because for me, I'm 48 years old, and back then we didn't have a lot of bands that, you know, came out. And when they first came out, I felt like, oh my God, there is a band out there. Yeah, mainstream band that I related to and I felt close to. My name is Julie, and we've been fans for 30 30 years. years. Yeah, 30 years. I have their autographs tattooed on my back. (laughs) We just started liking their music when we were in our 20s, and it helped us get, both of us, get through some tough times and great times. And we've just had a great time, you know, listening to them all the years. They pretty much tell the story of our life. Welcome to Billboard's Soul Sisters podcast. I'm Jesse Katz, and I'm here with my co-host, Dara Golub, in Montclair, New Jersey, for a special backstage episode with two people who are the very embodiment of what we consider a soul sister to be, uh, because we love their souls and their music uh, very much. They are Amy Ray and Emily Sailors, otherwise known as the Indigo Girls. Hello. Hello, ladies. How are you doing? Hello. Doing great. <laughs> Good. Thank you for joining the show and fighting illness and uh, probably general tour fatigue. <laughs> well, most of the shows were canceled by the snowstorm, so okay, we're, you got we a little rest. We don't have the usual tour fatigue. Okay, that's good. Feeling strong. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you just played in the city this past week, right? You did a little Joan Baez. We did a. We played for the PBS special that's going to be <laughs> in the summer sometime for the. Joan Baez's 75th birthday at the Beacon. Nice. And it was a large collection of incredible people, activists, musicians, you know, just the people from our life. Um, Jackson Brown and David Crosby and Emmylou Harris and Mary Chapin Carpenter, Mavis Staples, and 
Nano Stern and Damian Rice. Rice. Richard Thompson, I said him already, maybe. No. no. David Bromberg. Paul Simon. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm waiting for the weak link there, but. Mary Chapin no. Carpenter. Well, I think. <laughs> no, she's not the weak link. I meant we no, right? her. We <laughs> love her. Oh, my gosh. It wasn't, it was, the weak link was probably maybe lack of rehearsal time. If we, <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> when you get, when you do these types of things, does, is there this like incredible energy that's, that, that you would imagine when all of these people get together to celebrate something like that? I mean, what is that like to be, and did you played something all in a big group? No, we only just did like one or two songs with Joan a piece. Okay. So the energy's wacky. I mean, I don't know how to describe it actually, because it's, multiple generations of people and everybody's kind of excited but nervous and has their little dressing rooms or not or whatever you know I don't know how to what so do you it's think? not a big social it's not like a, you don't get to sort of celebrate together and it's talk social and mingle in the way that you sort of would fantasize and romanticize that kind of event being you know, <laughs> I, I want to think that you're all just sort of sharing stories well, and and y- you want to try to mingle, but it's so funny because it's like some of the people are such heroes to you that you don't, you say, hey, and you introduce yourself and then there's awkward silence and you don't really know what to talk about. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, how many times can you say I love your music? You know? Do you try to have something loaded? Like I have to mention like that album that I made thought my about it, but like with Paul Simon, but I was just like, eh, don't even just like let him be. I said, uh, Jackson, I, I love your last record. And he was just like, thanks. <laughs> so. Well, what do you guys say to people who say that to you? What's the flip side of that coin? Oh, we right. delve into it. Do you try to get really creative complicated conversation right away? <laughs> it depends on the person and the situation. Right. Sometimes we'll be like, if it seems, I don't know, there's moments when you just know someone has has an interesting life or something, and so you ask them about themselves because they already know about you. Oh, that's nice. You know? <laughs> So I mean, you must have women all the time. I mean, or just people. But I was preparing for this interview and thinking about how much we both are huge fans and have you how much you've meant to us over our lives. That that like that must be such a common thing for you to hear this like incredible stories, and you have to sort of say all the time, you know, engage in that conversation. And because you know that, they're going to take whatever you say back to huge. everyone in their lives right. and relate that amazing conversation that they had, even if it was just like, thanks. I <laughs> mean, really all, really all I ever pretty much say is thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Because what, what else can you say? Right. I mean, it's, it's really, yeah, really it's nice. It's yeah. very gratifying to have your music mean something to people's personal lives and their journeys and, so I just say thanks, for, thanks for telling me that. That's really cool, and yeah. I mean it. Yeah. And then look, oh, she was so nice, yeah. so appreciative. <laughs> right. That's a good story right there. <laughs> um, so, as Dara said, we've been lifelong fans of yours, or from whenever that began for us. Uh, freshman year of high school for me. High, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. For, I know pretty pretty clearly. You have it my story. You know, I have. I was my freshman year in high school doing theater. I think it was uh, the. Um, during play Identity Crisis when I got into theater there and I don't know in what way it came to me but that is the the um, Rites of Passage was emblematic of that time in my life cool so yeah it's like very very clear for me and I also feel like you mentioned remembering people making out with each other in yeah, college. Yeah, it was a very sexual time. It was a what? very or was like, that high school? exploratory. It was freshman year of high school. That was like oh, the, that was also when the making out was happening. Yeah, okay. all of that. All of I've that. never I've pictured been. people making out to our. I have music. never pictured that either. <laughs> it was a fr- 
it was an ex- it was a very free and wonderful time. Good. Uh, yeah. Stanford Connection. Stanford. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. Isn't that like really suburban and super suburban? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's Make right. out suburbanites. You're, and <laughs> yeah, not really like, like free lovey by our Thanks, Indigo Girls. My scene was rolling <laughs> in it. Yeah. It was great. Everybody's got a story. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Um, anyway, but you guys recently came charging back into our lives in a big way because of Transparent, which mm. we are huge fans of, and we actually do another podcast that's about Transparent. I saw that. I saw that. Did you? Yep. Um, I was vetting you. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's when I heard the Making Out to Indigo Girls story. It was on that podcast. Um, so... <laughs> I want to ask you guys if you saw this piece in the Times that came out in the past few days um, where it was about Transparent and Carol and about how, like, the love lives of women is coming back to the forefront of media and we're telling these more complicated, interesting stories again. I feel like I... Was it Eileen Miles? Was it about Eileen? Or was it... No, although they have done plenty of Eileen Miles pieces lately. I think there was a weekend where it was, like, three parts of the New York Times. Yeah. She's my I didn't read that. I didn't read that. I think I I read some of that, I think, because I was skimming it to make sure. Um, I'm always have a barometer about that particular episode and how they handled Michigan Women's Fest and what people think about it because I'm curious because we had a lot of questions ourselves right. which, with Jill about the script and everything. And which we want to ask you about. But I, I just want to point out this article because um, it starts from before the Women's Festival and the show. It starts with the scene in the car when they're driving to the festival and they're singing along to Indigo Girls. And on the podcast, I had asked Dara, what's your favorite scene from season two? Out of the entire season. And it was <laughs> that, that was scene. my favorite scene of the whole season two. And it, and it was so important and emblematic that they chose Closer to Find for that scene. So I just wanted to read this really quick excerpt of this article in the Times yeah, because yeah. the writer mm-hmm. pointed out that scene as being this exhilarating, freeing moment for him as well, which mm. was interesting. Um, and he said, that, like, the use of you guys in that song, he said, it's so obvious in its earnestness, the musicians so perfect in their brand of feminist existentialism. And then he said, it's the proud reclamation of the uncool of obviousness. It clears out all of the self-conscious noise of being cool and concentrates instead on being free. Because he was also talking about how how that song then goes into the end credits of that episode. But so many TV shows today end with kind of like a hip song of the moment (laughs) that kind of puts a tag on how cool that show is you know like a remix of it or something right and there was just like something so brilliantly unironic about using your song which fit that moment so perfectly and said everything about Mm. that moment but sometimes it's like it doesn't feel like it's so like hip to be into indigo girls because like indigo girls can have sometimes you know it's like place and it's um flannel shirts flannel shirts right (laughs) You know. We, we know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but, it's a source maybe... of frustration at times. Yeah. Is it? It is for me. I mean, I, I'd like to think that I'm more evolved and that it would never bother me, but it does sometimes. Like, you know, the skit on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> Cheryl Crow is on the show. I love Cheryl. But, um, we, you know, we're, we're mocked, but we're not invited to sing on the show, um, which I guess is not a great point about anything. But the, the, the point was, oh, yeah, we're on Saturday <laughs> no, Night that's Live. that's interesting. Oh, yeah, we're not on Saturday Night Live, you know. Yeah. Um, and then the earnestness, she said, he said, the mm-hmm. writer said the word earnest, which is just like, ah, we hear that word earnest really? um, a lot. 
but I feel like. But why is Ernest a bad thing? I because mean, it, because it, I know what you mean, but I'm saying I'm questioning. Like maybe let's rebrand what that feeling. Well, it's, I it's, a, hear, why, why it's, it's a it's a feminist issue. Why Ernest is a bad thing? Because Ernest totally. is bad when it's a woman singer. But if it's the emo movement, mm-hmm. and it's Ian Mackay and Fugazi or Zach Delarocha or Damian Rice. It's not bad. It's just never derogatory about it. Well, it might be every now and then there might be somebody that says Justin Vernon is too earnest, but I doubt it <laughs> because he's usually on the end credits of most of those shows. But um, mm-hmm. but I think earnest is not a bad thing. I don't think it is. I just think that we are we, – we just came out of a very specific time and we had a very specific identity that you never shirk once you have it, you know, and, and we were – distilled down to two lesbians with guitars even before we were out we right, were distilled right. down to that because we were butch women so to speak where i am emily's not but so i think like we talk about this all the time with like movie soundtrack stuff because it's so specific we never we don't get we don't do many sync licenses we don't get asked to do many because our music is so identifiably time and place and it's a thing that's so recognizable that it's good for us in some ways but really it's not going to be that amorphous, incredible song at the end of Sons of Anarchy or, you know, or, or Mad Men or whatever show you're watching um, or Six Feet Under or something that you the, the listener can't identify but makes them feel so much, you know. It's going to instead be, that's the Indigo Girls. Well, how would you classify <laughs> that as time and place as opposed to, it's so Indigo Girls? I mean... When I listen to your music now versus, you know, Rites of Passage and all of these things, it's it's Indigo Girls. And I love Indigo Girls and I love your harmonies. I mean, I've heard you describe, I mean, the most important characteristic of you two is you're a duo group. You sing beautiful harmonies. You have wonderful lyrics and wonderful songs and then amazing harmonies. And that's unusual. Dara and was challenging me on the way here to think of other duos. Other female are, duo groups. Okay, so or in I, general, not even female, because you said Simon and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel. The Roaches. And the Heart. Roaches. Heart. Heart. And Sh- Sonny and Cher. Okay. Yeah. So how many was a three? Like, there's not many Though groups. I've never listened to Sonny and Cher, but like, yeah, those harmonies. No, no, totally. I mean, I love I them, <laughs> but not for their harmonies, maybe. But there's you do? not okay. <laughs> another female group duo group that's doing the kind of harmonies then or now maybe it's not just time and place maybe it's like it's the indigo girls and people get scared of so many associations with us left wing dykes women whatever bleeding hearts and it turns people off because there's a derogatory generally uh, there's a derogatory idea about feminism yeah in general but do we think maybe the tide is turning on that right now like i think it's very, possible very it's recently. turning a little yeah. i do i feel that um another thing that amy was remarking on a while back is like after the supreme court made the decision and then the states could recognize gay marriage i don't know if this is true but there just seemed to be more of a those people who are more uh, swing more heterosexual than homosexual <laughs> However, the, on, on the, the, on the spectrum, yeah. on the spectrum, on the scale, yeah. yeah, there was just more of a relaxed intermingling of whatever your, you know, sexual reality was. And Amy was saying, and I think this is true, there is a general sense that everybody, not everybody is becoming accepted, but there is, uh, I don't, maybe you can articulate it better than Probably I can. <laughs> I mean, you're the, you're the one who said it, and I thought, yes, there was a change in the vibe in the audiences, and 
I don't know why this is happening, but our ticket sales were really good last night. Last night. They're <laughs> really good. <laughs> no. <laughs> and um, there just seems to be a re-energizing um, force going on surrounding us in our concerts. I don't know what that is. I but wondered about that because... It seems like you guys, I mean, you clearly have been putting out albums consistently forever and have not disappeared. So clearly your fans in in a massive quantity have stuck with you, despite what the general perceived feeling is that you guys are in vogue or not in a particular time period. So, but you do feel like more people are coming out now. It's a, it's a. It's not even. It's not even just numbers. It's because uh-huh. the numbers can be down to the fact that we have a new record out and we did a ton of social media right. and blah blah blah. Yeah, it's a. It was a vibe. Like before, you know, the more of the people that lean heterosexual, some people would not even want to come to shows. Sometimes it reminded me of my black friends who'd be like, "I don't want to go to an Indigo Girl show mm. sometimes because I'm just surrounded by people that aren't like me." And I'm like, that's cool. She's like, but my friends, you know, but we're kind of closet Indigo Girl fans. And I thought, well, that's an interesting flip, like kind of a whole other thing, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. about racism. But um, we can talk about that. But the the thing was like men, boys and men who like us but won't come to the show because it just feels like it's like you don't want to go to a Metallica show and sit in the mosh pit sometimes. But you love their music. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people, I mean, I would, but yeah. I'm just saying like some people don't feel comfortable, you know, and some, there's some people that didn't feel comfortable at our shows because they had a, a misconception, I think, that our audience was a certain way, which is a total misconception because it's not like that. But I think that's changing because there's just this, it's just relaxing. And like, there's a generation of people, I think, coming up in their thirties and twenties and younger, you know, 30 and younger that just don't care, you know, what it is. And and a lot of men, songwriters that we know, that kind of are of a generation where they relate to what we did and what we do, and they relate to it openly. It's not something that they, they list us as an influence, in other words, on their page or whatever, right? That would never happen 10 years ago, ever, because it was so uncool, right? you know? <laughs> And now it does with Justin or, you know, any of the newer kind of guys in his tribe that are coming up, you know, and I don't know what all that means. I just think it's like time. It's always about time. You need to like bury all the fr- old dinosaurs and mm-hmm. get all those gatekeepers out of here and make it different. Yeah. Star well, Trek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and how much do you think that, I mean, obviously there's a number of factors that go into the wave that's, that we're all sort of feeling now, but... How much would you attribute Transparent and Jill Soloway and the work that that show is doing in the media to this feeling that we're all having? I don't know. It's a hard thing to to quantify or even qualify. I mean, I I mean, trans issues are very, very important issues right now. It's not. It's not like all the other queer issues have gone away, but you know, there's a long way to go for acceptance uh, for trans people and. Um, and so that show is important part of that evolution, but I think it's a general part of, uh, raising consciousness overall culturally. And I believe sort of cosmically. Um, and so when you get a show like that, having a great impact on people across the board, all different walks of life and ilks and whatever you are, 
um, I think it's indicative of real change happening. And at the same time, when all that good real change is happening, like in all the social things that are happening with racism or uh, relationships between police and the communities, particularly black urban communities, and um, you know, there's a lot of fear as a result of that. And then you have these outcroppings of, well, you have Donald Trump essentially, who is bringing all those people up out of the darkness, you know, and like that is a Germany. It's, scary. it's like that. I mean, that's a result of they're scared of this consciousness raising, but I think television shows like transparent definitely add, add to that. And they're accepted and people are allowing themselves to be moved by them because they've been changed. And, and I will say, you know, with Jill, a part of the thing that changes, I think, is the, what's happening behind the scenes, too, that's so important, and in our industry, too, and her intentional hiring of trans writers and workshopping people with script writing and all that to make sure they know what they're doing and hiring staff that's from different sexual, on the paradigm, um, and genders and sexualities, I think is, like, I, it's so important. And it reflects in the show, and she definitely knows what she's doing (laughs) to try to shift. You know, she's a small piece, but she's a very important piece Um, in Hollywood, you know? I mean, my God, Hollywood. (laughs) Right, right, in Hollywood. Talk about patriarchy. (laughs) Right. So We've, We've talked about there sort of being this almost breakdown of the fourth wall in the sense that the show incorporating real artists, real people, real thinkers, you know, writers who are actually in this world and that, that it's sort like of that like... That Eileen Miles is in yeah. the Eileen show. Eileen Miles is in the show. You, you are, are in the, the show. show. I love and, Eileen. And it's just... There's sort of like this invitation to the audience to say like, look this, look into this. Like there's all these Easter eggs of things that you could say, oh, well, that's real. That Let me look into that. And there, it sort of just breaks down that barrier of audience member and television show and the fact that it's so present in the media and Jill's so present and... And asks you to educate yourself. Right. And or so inspires you too. With all sorts of people too because I mean, right. my straight male friend in his early 40s is a huge Transparent fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think to Amy's point, it's because there is authenticity. Yeah. If you don't have authenticity and someone else from a different... Not from that life is trying to represent it in TV or film or whatever it whatever the medium is then you have this you know then it's not transparent it's not it's not real it's um and then you're really just bolstering stereotypes even if they've been shrunk a bit they're still there because it's someone else's interpretation of your reality it's why white people cannot go into black communities and speak about their experience to the rest of the world you know you have to be from that community and you have to know what you're talking about because you've suffered the injustices and that have created the stereotypes, you know, yeah. so the judgments. And it makes for better storytelling, I think, to just tell very specific stories that then feel universal because they're yeah. so authentic and specific to the they're person human. telling them. They're right. human. Exactly. Yeah. Um, not to dwell too much in transparent <laughs> land, but we would like to hear a little bit more about your decision to be part of that episode because we know you guys had personal history with the subject of that episode with the women's festival. I mean, it's, you know, it's a complex thing because we, we hadn't read, the, yeah. <laughs> we, had, we had not read the script, but we had read the synopsis of it. Okay. Can and I ask you quickly first, when, when did you become aware of transparent and when? Did oh, you... I watched the first season. So did you think to yourself, hey, you know, ultimately no. there's going to be a, a... no really no and say we're the wait you know, what the, were you gonna ask that, that, 
I, I would imagine that you two would say to yourselves, oh, one day we'll be part of this family. And Did not occur to is, me. Really? No. It's so, it's so just Cause it was so popular. So, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't know Jill. You didn't know you weren't connected in any way with anybody. No. Okay. Not, I mean, I met Eileen like eons ago as a fan, as like yeah. a, I love your work. <laughs> <laughs> what else do I say? So Jill basically reached out to you. How did, how yeah, did she reached out and said she was a fan and wanted to know if we would make a cameo. And we, uh, I said I was a huge fan of the show. We had Emily and I asked for a synopsis. We thought it was cool. But we probably didn't think thoroughly like maybe we should read the script first. <laughs> So she told you the characters are going to go to this women's festival that is based on the Michigan Women's Festival that you guys had performed at many times throughout the years, Yeah, we were told a a good deal. Okay. So we had an educated response. Right. But, but, and and I am a big Jill Soloway fan, so I was like, no brainer for me. Mm -hmm. But we got the script on the way there in L.A. after we landed. Mm -hmm. We were riding in the car. And I was just like, oh, oh, ouch, ouch. Some of these jokes are going to be hard for some of our Michigan friends because we, you know, we played Michigan and I, I played for years and I went all the time religiously. And Emily and I played as Indigo Girls four, five, four times. Maybe so, yeah. And, and it's a touchstone. I mean, a complete, like, I have absolute reverence for, reverence for it. And it changed my life. But when the trans issue got... And I've been following the trans issue and sort of doing, working on it and doing interviews with people and trying to kind of talk to Lisa Vogel. And both of us talked to her a lot the last time she asked us and said, we really want you to think about changing this intention. And Can you just describe quickly? If, in case the intention of the Michigan Women's Festival for to be in the festival is that you have to be a woman-born woman. So you have to be born, biologically born a woman. So no, So it's... It's like a don't ask, don't tell a little bit because it's they don't check you at the gate. But trans women, it's not that they're not allowed. It's just that the festival organizers ask that you respect the intention. My problem with it is that it's too blurry. You either say you're not allowed and that's your, that's your prerogative and people cannot go if they don't believe in that. Or you say you're allowed and you tell people and you do everything that you need to do to make that work. To make everybody feel safe. Yeah. Maybe you make it one weekend at first, and the other two days, trans women aren't allowed. I don't know. You transition. You make it feel... That was my whole argument with Lisa, but I respect her so much. So I I just... It was like, this is what we feel like, and we'll play the festival one more time, and that's it, until you change this. And it was a huge deal, and blah, blah, blah. But we But the script had a few jokes in it that were a little, I don't know, low blows to the festival. <laughs> It wasn't the trajectory of the plot that bothered me. I loved the the book burning, the everything about it. The plot was incredible. Right. It was just a few little digs at the typical at Michigan women's of, best yeah, person, right? Which is not accurate. It wasn't accurate. Uh huh. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard balance. The man on the land, like, right? Is that, was oh, that, is is that, that, that based in? It is based in reality, but it's not screamed at the top of your lungs over and over again. Right. It's like. <laughs> One person says it one time when the people come to empty the Porta Johns, you know, okay. Janes. That's it. Porta Janes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so was you know there, what I mean? It's not yeah. like this, like everybody's scared. It's right. like everybody's used to the fact that the only thing the men do for that festival, the only thing they do is empty the, the Porta Potties. That's it. They come and Right. So it was playing up. a little bit into the idea of like this angry militant feminism that's 
screaming at the top of its lungs. Yeah, and it's more sophisticated than that. Right. right. These are people that go to this festival or from all walks of life, and they're much more sophisticated than that. Okay. And they have a much more nuanced political analysis of, of what's going on with their own perspective. It's yeah. not... So you mentioned this to Jill. You said we have some concerns. Yeah. And I would imagine Jill would be very concerned and, per, and receptive to that. She was, yeah. totally. She was open to conversing about it. And um, yeah, she had great respect for Michigan as well. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. And so she took your suggestions and that's kind of what we see? What you see is probably a mishmash of uh-huh. some of our suggestions. I saw the script softening a bit in some joke areas, but not of course it's her script I mean, right we would right. not yeah. yeah she definitely was working with the scene it was so fascinating she's working with the scenes and changing words here and there and making it have a little more nuance in it and she's brilliant and it was great but there's some jokes in there that just you know what it's not going to offend a lot of people like it's just i'm sensitive to it you know what i mean but i'm i'm like that i can be overly serious sometimes so yeah, no, but it's bringing up things that are incredibly powerful to think about, especially when you don't get the opportunity to to think about these issues. And so to handle them really sensitively is is key. But you also um, have to stay I, within the humor of the show. Sure, though, you're right. You know, so it's like, right. oh, for me, I'm like, I love the show, but maybe there's a few jokes in the script that are uncomfortable to me, but I see the relevance and the how they fit. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Right, I'm talking too much. <laughs> We could go yeah, you on about this. Too. I'm fascinated about your thoughts on the bonfire scene, but we have so much oh. to cover. Yeah, <laughs> this is all another incredible. Yeah, I, have, I haven't you seen haven't it. seen it yet. Nope. Okay, okay, good. Then we won't talk about it. But great. Yes, okay. you can take it back. <laughs> Let's take it back. Let's step away from transparent. Go back to the lives that you guys have largely shared for a lot of your lives. I mean, I know you guys. Went to the same elementary school, but you weren't friends necessarily. You were just kind of around each other mm-hmm. in a biographical way. Aware of each other. Aware of each other. Um, you became friends in high school? Yep. We okay. both uh, joined the chorus. Okay. And that's when we really became friends. 
And how did that, that happen? Point, like while you were in choir? Yeah. I mean, we, we just, just, we both chatting. had, we both played guitar. We were both songwriters. Okay. So you both we, were already developing that in yourselves yes, by that point. Yeah. Okay. And we Very were aware, early songwriters. But we were a year apart in, in class. So you don't hang out with kids either older or younger, generally speaking. Except when in we were Stanford, in, Connecticut. I oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a whole nother whole story. Mishmash over there. <laughs> <laughs> so we just became friends because we're in the chorus together. So, and then we started just for fun going over to Amy's house and, and just learning cover songs. And it was just so much fun immediately. It was like the funnest thing ever. And who, then, um, who were your people then? Who were you listening to? Yeah, or your what idols? Were you covering? We were covering like early James Taylor, like more obscure stuff. I mean, so we did fire and rain too, but obscure stuff. Carol I was King. listening to you guys today and thinking some of the guitar stuff was reminding me a lot of James Taylor. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown. Mm-hmm. Emily so, could play Joni Mitchell. I couldn't play the songs; they were too difficult for me. Yeah, they're tough. But Joni was Joni. my favorite. Yeah. Um, and we just did a bunch of covers, but really, our whole intention was to insert our original music into the set list because that's what we wanted to do. So we played. You so know, the covers like, were the Trojan Horse. They were, F yeah. for sure. They were. We played Margaritaville and everything, and then we'd play. In a, <laughs> Where would you the, do that? At the, yeah, you play like, in bars. This place or? called yeah, Good Old Days. Good, good Old Days. Good old days. And they had a special, their big thing was they had a sandwich that was made in a flower pot. It was, was it the a bread vegan was place? baked in the, no. There was okay. no vegan then. There was no vegan. Not in Atlanta. It was like a hippie slash not hipster at all. Yeah. Frat, rich Atlanta. Did it live up to its name? Were those the it good old days? It was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. I mean, they are good old days. We quite back. enjoyed it. We, we got to play there when we were in high school, for God's sake. Yeah, I mean, cool. you were both already playing guitar and writing songs at that time. Was that in the family that it came to you to, she to was ahead of get me. that way? Well, my family's really, really musical. I mean, my dad, he's he writes sacred music, and he grew up on, j- on jazz piano, and my mom played piano, and my whole family could sing, and my younger sister studied you know, opera and... We all took instruments and we sang together on family trips and they always encouraged us to play whatever instruments we wanted to take up. And it just so happens that when I took up guitar, that was it for me. I became immediately obsessed. And so, but, but, and then my grandfather was a professional touring musician in the big band era. Oh, wow. So it's kind of in the bloodline. Yeah. Playing what? Uh, he played violin. He played some saxophone, but mostly violin. Wow. Yep. Wow. And a big band. And he was a songwriter in a sort of, of the classic sort of songs of the 40s okay yeah so did you see him play at all uh no not live he had yeah. way way retired by the yeah. time but as a kid i remember sitting at the piano with him and he'd written this song give a little smile of love and it had sheet music and um then i remember sitting there and, and having him play that and singing that together he had red hair his nickname was red <laughs> do you have that sheet music i probably do yeah She's yeah. so casual. I probably do. I'd be like <laughs> freaking out if I had that kind of archive. I know. I know Amy's a real documenter, <laughs> archivist, and I just know. Oh, like this like, massive need history. You need to document I'm it. I'm with you. <laughs> so how about for you? What was the family? It's not that what exciting. Um, well, we, my sister's, my, my family's musical, sort of. You know, like my sister is a great singer. She's a doctor, but she was a musical theater person in college. And I learned to play guitar. When I was young, mostly because my oldest sister played, and I just wanted to be like her. And, uh, yeah, and, and my, I don't have anybody that was professional. My great-grandfather 
was an itinerant preacher. <laughs> and uh, he would travel around and preach, and everybody, all the kids, my grandmother too, would like play little instruments on the street. So that's that's the. Wow. That's, I mean, preaching is performance. That's my so claim. That's a direct line <laughs> to me. That makes total sense. You know, hand out Bible tracts, but uh, yeah, but, but nothing, just, nothing. You know, no one was a songwriter in my family. Then it just it was just in you to start writing. I started later than Emily. I wasn't nearly as good as her as soon I mean like she was much more along the path of writing before before I was I was just kind of trying to take you know tackle guitar chords so did she raise you a little bit yeah you think yeah yeah was it like a little bit of some healthy competition between no you? no never felt like that I was just learning everything I could yeah learn you know chords and we were, you know, we were at different, she was a year ahead of me, but we were also at different levels, and she was better than I was, and so when we learned a song, I'd play like an easier version, which is kind of how we started having different chord voicings from each other, huh. which oh. was our strength, yeah. you know, to do it differently, uh-huh. and then I would learn the harmonies <clears throat> as if they were a melody, so, you know, like cool. how you can take old Paul Simon and Garfunkel records, and you can turn the thing to the right or left and hear each other's parts. I would learn parts on their songs like that, and that's how I learned how to do that kind of harmony, you know, with Emily. Yeah. And she would teach me what to sing, and then I would just learn it as if it was the song because I was so geared towards melody. But that's wow. still kind of yeah, how you guys harmonize yeah. now, right? I mean, well, Amy, I you can totally do harmony now. Amy I've learned how to do it. Yeah. I've learned Harmonies how to do it. And, yeah. But but I feel like both parts are so strongly melodic that sometimes it's like, which one which, am I singing in my head? Right. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. It's great. I think that too sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, Wait, was that Emily's part? Right. <laughs> no, it's totally, it's like our style, but a lot of people, but like the Everly Brothers did that too, and, mm. and um, Simon and Garfield did a bit of that, and then we learned, <clears throat> you know, choral singing and choirs and stuff, yeah. which have a lot of, you know, st- counter melodies and mm-hmm. call and answer and all that good stuff right so can you remember a point or pinpoint a time when you were doing these you were practicing together doing little shows at the good old days and things was there a time that you can pinpoint and say wow that was when it really hit us like we have something special together that's more than this kind of really fun thing but it's something that's very special no you know honestly it was a fun thing it was just like could I couldn't really get enough of it, and I never thought. I mean, in a while, like I when I went off to school, I thought I was going to be an English teacher. I didn't think I was going to be devote every. I knew music would be in my life, and I'd be performing, and I'd be performing with Amy, hopefully. But I didn't know that it was going to be all that. You know, just that's the road. And then I was actually meeting with a professor to talk about grad schools, and Amy's like hanging up all the posters and doing all the work, and we're playing these gigs, and she finally said, "Well." do you want to do that or do you want to do this? And fair enough. And I said, well, what says flip a coin? I'll do music. <laughs> so were you getting but, frustrated, Amy? You were like, you got to get serious or get out of this because I'm in it. I might have been. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe. Yeah. But I think I was frustrated out of excitement. You know, it was right. like, this is so great. You know, like, yeah, but it wasn't like, something, so let's it wasn't it. like, let's make a career out of this. It was more like, Look at all these things happening for us. You know, we, what was happening at that? Just time? we were getting gigs, like so many gigs. You know, we were just. How did you get gigs at that time? We what called like? up the place and gave them a little cassette, or we said we play for free or whatever. Whatever we had to do, we'd get a gig, and uh, play. And our friends, 
we were in college, all of our college friends would come and, you know, it, it was, it was just like a, a thing, you know, we just, yeah. we really very organically just grew our circle of audience and people and the harder gigs to get were, you know, clubs where they had original music and more of the kind of the post-punk era. And we, uh, we just made like, we would have little focuses, you know, like this, we're going to gig at the Moonshadow Saloon opening for Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. We're going to get that gig, you know, and we would just try really hard. And then if we got that, we would go to the next thing we we're going to get. And during that time, we would also play like a gig at like a local college bar or somewhere where we kind of had a gig, you know, and th- that was like the small kind of keep our chops up, have our fan base, do our thing. And then the bigger achievements were just little things along the way that we had to really hammer at, you know, and we just did it all ourselves. And it was easier back then. It's hard now for bands. Yeah. To well, get those kind of gigs. Why do you think gigs. it was easier then? You know, so just on a business level, bands didn't often carry their own opening act on, on the club level. So, you know, we could get a gig opening for Suzanne Vega. And yeah. then if we did well in that, we could open for the Roaches. You know, it was – and now if it's like us, for instance, we pick our own opening bands right. and tour around with and them. And they come with you. And that's what most people do. Right. right. So, the other thing was that there were college uh, college right. radio stations. There For CBS – it was called CBS before it was Sony, if you can dig that far back. <laughs> and they had a college radio department. And uh, we could call the program directors at various colleges and – and talk to them personally and say, please play the record. And then we would track the rotation and then we would map out our own little tours and uh, based on where they were being played on college radio stations. So all that access to programmers is non-existent now. I mean, there's not even regional radio anymore. So yeah. that was a, that was something that was unique to that time. Yeah. I mean, they have we have college radio now and it's, it can be really good, but it's, you don't, like a, like an artist that's up and coming would have a hard time getting through to that program director without, you know, someone soliciting for them. Oh, yeah, you need you need people yeah. now. You need a team. You need a team. Yeah. That's right. Social media team, radio team, all that stuff, and a retail team. And, you know, and back then we could go, where, if we were playing in Chapel Hill, we were like, okay, we're going to go these three radio stations and these two record stores and this one newspaper, and we would systematically just try to cover all that ourselves, and that was your little nut, you know, and then you, you if you could get that going, you keep going back, and then you would say, well, next we'll work on Athens. And you, you have the, the approach of, like, indie media, retail, radio. And it's just, like, a very systematic thing that we figured out how to do and that it would work. And it did because our audience grew and our yeah. tour route grew. And we got signed well into already developing our crowd, you know. Mm-hmm. So you guys were really doing it for yourselves for a while at the beginning there, right? I mean, yeah, first like album? Four years. I mean, four years, really. Yeah. yeah. You released... Your first album in 85 and mm-hmm. then single. signed in, eight, in 89. The single was, yeah. Or five years because before that, our first record, we had like a little single and an EP, like a, I mean, a um, cassette tape before that. And so probably from like 84 on, we were concertedly, like we had both transferred to Emory in Atlanta and we were concertedly like booking shows and looking at how to do things learn how to do things. Mm-hmm. And in 2009, you launched your own label, right? And now you know, I, you're back to doing it for yourselves again? Yeah. It, I don't even know. Is it a label? It's a label. <laughs> it's like an it's imprint. It's called a label. It's, a, it's an imprint. What does it feel yeah, What does like? it mean? It Tell was, us what it that was, is. Was it 2009 or 
I thought it was later than that. Or earlier. I thought it was. Whenever Despite Our Differences came out, whenever that was. Your website might say 2009, but I I don't know. It's like Wikipedia. Don't believe it. (laughs) We're distributed by Vanguard Records, so we do have a relationship with them. Yeah. Um, But But you're back in charge now. We're back in charge, (laughs) and it's really awesome because there are things that happen when you're back in charge. You don't waste money. You don't have middle people trying to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can expedite the experience in the studio. Everything's in-house. Over the years, we'd built all the relationships we needed to effectively make a record. So we have the same agent, and we work with a lot of the same show promoters, and we have the same management. And so we have built a team, and um, we really don't need a record label anymore. I mean, we have Vanguard, and they're awesome, and they help us a lot, mm-hmm. and we love them. Mm-hmm. Love, they just got bought by Concord, but that's another story. <laughs> um, but so... You know, we were with Epic for a long time, and they were good to us. But that was back in the day when major labels were nurturing the life of bands. It's a completely different reality now in the music business. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had a good run with them, and then Hollywood Records signed us. Who knows why? And then they dropped us after one. Uh, We were excited, or I was. I think at that point, Amy was ready to go fully independent. But I was like, well, maybe we can get some film, you know, licenses, which would be exciting and all that. But it didn't work out, and then by the time... They dropped us. We already had studio time booked for the next record. So we're just like, well, let's just carry on. It's very liberating to just have it all in-house and do mm-hmm. our thing. Yeah. What's the longest you've gone in between records? Probably this Four this years. Period. Really? Yep. Four years. Yeah, we both watched um, the your documentary. documentary on the making of One Last Day, One Lost Day. Um, which was wonderful and beautiful. I mean, all of the, the seeing your process in that way, so detailed and so lovingly, it was really nicely done. Um, one thing that struck me from the very beginning was, I think it was you, Emily, were saying that this is the most prolific you've felt since college. And I just wonder what that feels like. How, how you could even like, could you describe that and some real imagery good. and make? Because I mean, because it's just the most beautiful. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you said you used to be able to write five songs in a day. Oh, yeah, but they were practically the same song. Right, I mean, okay. in college, I was you know I sat in my room as you can imagine, like, sort of like a young. I listened to Joni Mitchell over and over on the turntable, and I could write five songs a day, but they weren't great songs. I mean, I was just you know, growing. Yeah. Um, but I've had uh, writer's block and that's a terrible feeling. It's like, you can't imagine that you're ever going to write again, even though you, I mean, you know, reasonably that you will write again, but you can't feel that you will. So when you don't have writer's block and, and I feel like I feel inspired to write, it's very exciting. Like I'm still in that space right now. I'm working on a solo record that Lyris Hung is going to produce. And I feel very inspired and does it make you nervous? Like, what if it's not there tomorrow? Uh, no. Mm-mm. Good. I, at this point in my life, I'm really staying in the moment. Great. I mean, I have a lot of fears about making a solo record, which I'm happy first? to share. First. Wow. wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, that's very Thank exciting. You. I know. Very, cool. <laughs> very, very cool. What, how do you know when you're making, when you're writing these songs, like you say, this is for my solo record, or is it because you hear harmony on it or don't hear harmony on it or you just see this is so personal or what speaks to you in a way that makes you know i think maybe um as time goes on and if i do continue to do solo projects that'll be more of an issue but right now i'm just specifically writing for that record so i'm not really thinking anything else is going to be in 
Indigo Girl song. And also this record is going to be different from Indigo Records because a lot of the songs are built around um, and in conjunction with arrangements. So I'm not going to necessarily be playing or strumming a guitar part throughout the body of the song like we do now. I may play very little or I may sing more sparsely or it's just, which is very frightening to me because inside I feel like the fans who love our music, they're not going to like it because it's really, really different in that sense. But it's also like at this point in life, it's like, why not? You know, like yeah, good. challenge them. I, well, they can follow you challenge there. my own self and like get yeah. out of my head and just, <laughs> and just do it. Yeah. So the songwriting process is really, really different for the solo project. Awesome. Yeah. Do you um do you can you attribute it to something in life when you feel so inspired regardless of which project but do you feel like uh, oh it's you know I can I can really pinpoint this is because I've gone through this or this is happening or is it really just a feeling independent of anything for you? I mean quite honestly my physical health has a lot to do with renewed inspiration. I don't drink alcohol anymore. I don't really you know, I'm trying to take care of myself and exercise and do all the basic things, but um, just being clear-headed and and focused on health has, I don't know, mind, body, spirit. It is the truth. Mm-hmm. And also, I feel very relaxed in life right now. I feel like I'm in good hands. I love my family. I feel very blessed. I just... Um, do you meditate? You sound I, like I, someone who meditates. <laughs> I, I meditate, so I don't mean that. Disparaging. I don't <laughs> meditate regularly. I do pray regularly, but it's quiet That's, thing, you know. It's yeah. not. It's just the way I do, you know. It's like it probably has the same effect. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just connecting with a, a spirit, mm-hmm. like a higher, right, a higher realm. Yeah. And um, did the giving up drinking change your experience of touring? I have so much more energy. Yeah. So it was I all for the best. positive thing. Yeah. It's all positive. Good. I. I I always feel good. And when I don't feel good, I know I'll feel better soon. Right. So. And you know, it's not something that you did to yourself. <laughs> exactly. Which is That's the worst exactly part of right. a hangover. Like, yeah. like, I have no one else to blame for this. Oh my God. It's so liberating to not have a hangover anymore. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. So if, you're exactly right. If I don't feel good, I didn't do it to it's myself. Not your fault. Yeah. It was meant yeah. to be a quiet day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was always, you know, it was always such a party for me. We played in bars. We, I never had to get up early. We, you know, Amy hasn't drunk alcohol in a long, long time, much longer than me. But uh-huh. um, anyway, that the clear headedness. And also I have a kid now and that, oh man, that's <laughs> time inspiring. For well, yeah, that <laughs> but I mean, as far as inspiration. Yeah. And it is very, I, I keep thinking about that child that washed up on an Egyptian tourist beach, you know, from the, it was a, a photo that was circulated broadly um, a few months ago. And that man who lost his whole family, they were refugees on a boat. And um, when something happens to a child or children or or parents lose children, I mean, it is it is such a deep wound to experience, you know, as an observer in a way that I've never experienced. And so having a kid has put me in touch with the deeper joy and deeper pain, you know, in equal terms. Um, and, you know, it's like, I'm past 50 now, so probably running out of time, so I might as well make the most of it, right? In the in this chaotic world, I think the best I can do is to um, live a productive and kind life in my circles, you know? 
and then ha- and live that way and then be an activist of course but yeah. i cannot stop isis right you know but i can vote responsibly there you go i wanted to ask you about the activism part of the work that you guys do um because i'm sure it, it takes on different forms and different meanings for you depending on what's happening in the world but like what do you feel charged by right now as an activist like what's turning you on and what's feeding your art from that perspective that's a good question i mean we've amy and i for over 20 years now we helped start this group called honor the earth and we work with um, indigenous activists in the americas particularly north america and what's happening a lot on indian land is environmental justice issues so our our ed of honor the earth uh, winona laduke who is now running for tribal chairwoman um, they are fighting pipelines. Okay, so Keystone XL gets defeated, at least for now. Then those companies, they, <laughs> they're bad guys, man. Then they just start working on the other little, um, other pipelines, and they're going through Indian land, right through the rice fields, and we all know that the pipelines leak, and we all know that oil is a dinosaur, you know? The paradigm is shifting. So both Amy and I feel very energized and inspired by these these battles to protect the earth and sustenance ways of living that are that can inform all of us, not just people living on reservations or who are interested in taking care of the beauty of the land, but you know we're in trouble and we're standing on the precipice of change. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of activism is very very inspiring. Um, Are you guys going to get involved formally in the presidential election? We don't endorse candidates but because okay. we're, we're issue-focused, but we do ver- a lot of voting drives, and we have um, tablers come to the shows and just to encourage people to vote because, to me, it's astonishing that more people don't vote. Um, and I know that you know there are certain factions of people who try to make it more difficult for some people to vote, ID cards or you know, redrawing the lines of the districts. We all know about that. But the bottom line, and also some people feel so disenfranchised and so disconnected from uh, politics as it affects their lives, which is understandable. But there's a lot of people out there who just are lazy about it and don't care. And I think it's really important to just get people registered to vote and to make connections and to say, if you, if this person's elected, these are the policies that are going to affect your life and your family's life and future lives. So that's why we don't we don't endorse candidates. We that's we fair. we work on getting people to the polls, but anybody could tell who we're going to vote for, you know. <laughs> I mean, regardless of how you're going to vote, it's a cool moment ties into all of this that, you know, a woman could very well be president soon. It's just a nice possibility. Well, the rest of the world's been doing it. A exactly. lot of the rest of the world um, if Germany can do it, we can do it. I mean, quite honestly, both Amy and I, we love Bernie and we love Hillary. We love them both. It's good to have two For, good options. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> it is good. Um, I'm frightened about this election, um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. But if you're also frightened, go vote. Go vote. Go vote. What a privilege. People die for that right in other, they don't have that right <laughs> in other countries. Exactly. Um, you talk about in the documentary how you and Amy have very different personalities, like polar opposite personalities. So what is it that keeps you guys together? There's a lot of things. I mean, one is space. We take a lot of space from each other. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah. Like any you good know. relationship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and she lives out in the country and I live more in the city. And uh, so we have a lot of space. Indigo Girls isn't everything to us. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, the most important in terms of music, but Amy's released like six solo records and 
we have different projects. I co-own a restaurant. I wrote a book with my dad. She's got an indie label. And we just do, I like to do a lot of co-writing. And so we do different things, which keeps it fresh. And then always we, we have the same value system. So no matter how different we are on the surface, we believe in the same things. And um, our families have known each other since we were little kids. So we've been through all our lives together. Yeah. And uh, it's a very deep friendship. And it's easier to have two than it is five, probably, <laughs> in a band. Um, I don't know, though. I mean, if you had five, you can diffuse a lot yeah. of stuff amongst everybody. But if it's just the two of you... We don't have any ego problems, really. Yeah, we both understand great. that the other adds to the group what the other can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if we were more similar, it wouldn't work. That's interesting. Yeah, we were both also um, interested about how the writing process works. And when you one of you writes a song, it's then sort of your song. And then the other one works on it with you. But it's really there's a sense of ownership to each song. That's true. And that was interesting that it's not sort of a co-writing situation. It's... Amy writes, Emily writes, and then we work on it together, but it's really one or the other song. It's true. Um, it's really interesting that we cannot, we are like oil and water trying to write together. We just can't do it. But we have a very, very good way of arranging songs together. But as long as the writer of the song gets the say in the in the process of how we're going to shape it ultimately, I think we retain that autonomy, which as an artist, it's very important to hold your little jewel, you know, and... And, um, but we have a great working relationship in terms of arrangement and, but you know, the truth is that once Amy puts her part on it and we record it, the songs aren't the same without her. You know, if I play some shows on my own and I play some Indigo Girls, well, they're, say I wrote, I wrote these songs, I wrote Galileo, I play it, I miss her parts. So she elevates the song. So in a sense, they become Indigo Girls songs, but they start out written by one of us. I did want to ask. Okay, so you wrote Galileo. Yeah. Who wrote Closer to Fine? I did. Who wrote Hammer and a Nail? I did. Uh, who wrote Power of Two? I did. Uh-oh. Who wrote Least Complicated? I did. Does that ever become a... I mean, is there a little bit of a back and forth on like, I've written so many songs. No, written, I guess you, you probably don't talk about it. Not that. I mean, right, or like... I don't know. I mean, I think you don't have to ask Amy that. I think a, it's, you know. By the way, Amy ducked out. Um, Amy ducked out because she has to visit with her child. So, um, so she's not here to defend her right, honor. Right. No, it's just, it's interesting. And, and I, how writing would go down within a group is different than how it would go down with two people. And just, but I'm sure Those you have it worked songs. out very, right. You just listed a bunch of pop songs that have chorus hooks. And I just have sort of, you know, an affinity for that. I can write that kind of song easily. It's not going to have the same emotional impact of some of Amy's songs. Like even Kid Fears, that's a classic for us that she wrote. I mean, that's a deep song. And so Hammer and a Nail, you can sing the chorus and it's a pop song. (laughs) Emily wrote it. Who cares? You know, but you know, it's her stuff like, or a song like Chicken Man. That's this travelogue with this great character and all these great images and, um, it's a very different emotional effect than hammer and a nail, but, um, so we do, we do you guys different are good things. Friends. Yeah, That's what I'm getting from yeah. this. We're That's very nice. good friends. A lot yeah. of respect. A lot of respect. Lot, like tons of re- tons of respect. Tons of years. Are you back, Amy? They have a question for you. <laughs> do you resent the fact that, um, <laughs> I wrote that Emily is such a good pop songwriter. 
And you write the deeper material? I would. I don't think I write deeper material. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying that Kid Fierce is a more think... emotionally deep experience than Hammer and a Nail. And so. Well, yeah, but that's like apples and oranges. Yeah. You guys can ask Amy deep, now she's back. It's not more deep than Ghost. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Ghost is like the treasure. I mean, that song is a masterpiece. I, uh, I recognize that Emily's a better songwriter than I am. Oh, my God. I can't believe you <laughs> that said that. That wasn't what you just walked in on. We no, promise. No, I do. Emily's definitely got a talent at her melodic sense is much more evolved than mine, and I'm working on mine still. And uh, Emily, are you a little bit older? Are you the one who is she's a year older? older. Yeah, older. Okay, so I feel like this is like the permanent situation. You're it just is. like yeah. always just okay, trying to catch up. Let me tell you about what I learned me. from Amy. But it's oh good for God. me. It's good for me. Okay, here's the thing. Amy's smarter than I am. There's no, no doubt about it. Your SAT score is higher than mine. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't it. reflect intelligence. <laughs> Amy always knew what to do every step of our career along the way. That's I was true. clueless. I'm a she, mogul. She's a planner. She can synthesize huge swaths of information i can only focus on one thing at a time um Accurate. she's clear <laughs> she's uh yeah i mean i spent a lot of time in therapy talking about how i haven't stood up to amy's abilities uh, on a business like it's just no 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 like business stuff no no it's everything but anyway we have I mean, a lot of respect sounds like a perfect right like we have complement each, each other in the right ways and it's yeah yeah, I think we have a great complimentary thing. And I think we also flip, you know, there's moments when Emily has a great like business idea or approach to something that I like would not have even ever occurred to me, but her brain works different from mine. And, um, so there's, it's not so black and white all the time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you guys, you guys are soul sisters. And that's the name of the podcast. So, way to tie it all together. For we us. definitely are soul sisters. We are soul sisters for sure. All right. Well, we know you guys have a show to perform. We asked so a lot. We'll the final. You, um, you can ask a final. The final question. Oh, you got a final one. Uh, the sort of what would you say is the main thing that sort of stuck with you this entire journey that says we're gonna do this. This is this is what it's about. And this Money. is why we're doing that. <laughs> Hell yeah. Don't be ashamed of that. I, it's not it, though, unfortunately. If it was, we'd be better off. Or what would you tell a young artist? And, or, you know, what, what words of wisdom do you have to impart with her? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is my deep gratitude for being able to do this for so long and being able to do it with Amy. So I think that knowing the gift that you have with a partner like Amy and recognizing that and, um, and appreciating that and uh, we keep things fresh. You know, we don't we don't even have laurels, but if we did, we wouldn't try to rest on them. <laughs> we just, uh, we keep it fresh, and we like to keep creating. We like to keep growing, and um, we're friends. With this fantastic new producer on your new record. Yeah. yeah. New team, yeah. new group of people. It looked like that a really inspiring. Thing. That was our early thing, was like we just want to keep, keep moving growing. forward. You know, and... Be in the moment, but also be forward-looking, but not all about retrospect and all that kind of legacy stuff is not, it doesn't, it's not important to us. So it's, and even in the beginning, we were like very conscious about how we did things, you know, like 
we, you know, we want to change things up all the time because we had our college friends come into every show. We couldn't do the same things all the time because, you know, everybody's, they want to hear something different and to be excited all the time. So we had a really challenging audience kind of constantly, I think, um, but loving. But so it, that has been the main thread has been constantly trying to switch it up so that we don't lose our own energy and being like, if we do lose our energy, we need to do something about it. Awesome. Great. Uh, yeah. Well, Amy, Emily, thank you for coming on the show. We think you have a lot of laurels and <laughs> we look forward to seeing all the many more to come. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.
twice as cloudy as I'd been the night before And I went out seeking clarity I went to the doctor I went to the mountains I looked to the children I drank from the fountains Yeah, we go to the doctor We go to the mountains We look to the children yeah, we go to the Bible, we go through the workout, we read a long revival, y'all, and we stand up. There's more than one answer to these questions, pointing me in a crooked line. The less I seek my source for some deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.